welcome back everybody to the Electric Freeze podcast. I'm your host Sean McInerney and this is episode four. Now this week I was lucky enough to have the legendary Dave Pasquese. I was thrilled to have Dave on the podcast. He was one of Del Close's first few students in Chicago. He was part of the formation of the Herald. He's Second City alumni and he's one half of the legendary TJ and Dave. I've been lucky enough to see TJ and Dave a few times and they've blown me away every time. So I was absolutely delighted to talk with Dave about his insights and improv, his experiences. So without further ado, here's my chat with Dave Pasquese. Dave, I heard that you got into improv through your brother. Is that right? It is correct. Um, And my mom. Um, Why? My brother Tom was... He's my older brother. He was in law school while I was in undergrad, and we were roommates. And he decided to take some classes in improvisation, so that, which is common, at least it, it was back then in Chicago. People who were not actors took improvisation classes for various reasons. A lot of ad agency people took it so that they'd be better at their pitches for clients. And people like my brother, uh, who was um, uh, going to become an attorney, just to get, you know, to be more comfortable in front of people for moot court and things like that. So Ah. that's why he went. He had a reason to go. He signed up, registered and went. And my mother insisted that I tag along with him. Now, I wasn't, you know, ostensibly an adult by this time, but... I still was unable to disobey my mother. Um, and so I was probably 19 or 20, and I'd never been on stage of any kind. And I went to this uh, class. This uh, There was a small school called Players Workshop of the Second City. And in Chicago at the time, that was the only place that was teaching this kind of improvisation, that structure that we're very familiar with now, which is you take a series of classes, and then at the end, the final class was you came up with your own, your group came up with its own sketch review. So again, it's not, the final result is not improvisation. It, yeah. it, you know, the final result was always a sketch show, and there might be some improvised scenes or games within it, but improvisation itself was never the entertainment. It was a way to develop material. It was a way to become more comfortable around people. It was a means to something, but not an end in itself. Ah, okay. And when did you cross paths with Del Close then? How did that come about? So then I was was studying in college in Loyola in Chicago, and I took those workshops at the Players Workshop at Second City, and I just immediately uh, and really enjoyed it. And my, my teacher was a woman named Judy Morgan, who happened to have been in, she never said it, but I've read it in the book, Something Wonderful Right Away by Jeff Sweet. Because, I mean, I started reading as soon as I found improvisation, I really uh, um, kind of was all in. It so just I was, clicked with you immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I loved everything about it that there's, you know, uh, it's kind of 
mysterious and mystical and hippie-ish, you know, just like, look out for the other guy, man, and everything's <laughs> cool. And, uh, you know, it, and, but living that way was absolutely fantastic for those moments on stage. And I read that book, and Judy Morgan is listed as one of those casts at Second City. The rest of the cast was Joe Flaherty, Harold Ramis, Brian Doyle Murray, John Bunge, Judy, and um, I can't remember this woman's name. Anyway, I apologize. Um, But I, I was reading the book, and there's my teacher's name in there. I'm like, holy shit, she's... Part, you know, that's Judy. Holy shit! And so I started paying closer attention. Um, <laughs> uh, she she was and she was absolutely wonderful and made it easy to love improvisation. She was just great. So then I am in school. I I finished that series of workshops. I did our little uh, grad show, which was on stage at Second City. This, again, this, this theater, this building with so much tradition and history. And I got to perform there as a, just a young, know-nothing idiot, which was a hoot. It was just, you know, just once. Um, but I really felt, I really enjoyed that experience. So then I'm in college. I have no interest in pursuing that because the way I grew up, that is not an option. There was no performers in your family or anything? No, there's a bunch of, tra- you know, both both sides. My, my Italian side, my dad was first generation, so there's tons of trades people. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, and some professional people. My dad was an attorney. There was a doctor. There's, um, there's a lot of other stuff, but not a single person involved in entertainment. And though some of them were musicians and things like that, it was never, never even considered as a possible life. So I just, it never dawned on me. Um, and so I went, I finished, I went back to, you know, I was in school, I went back to school. And it's like, okay, I did that, that was something to do. And now I'm getting my degree and then I'm going to go on to graduate school and I was either going to go to law school or business school. Ah, yeah, I think I read and you went to Rome and that's where you met Joel Murray, yeah, is that right? right. And then the next year after those classes, the next year I ended up going to, Italy to to school in Rome and on the plane on the way over is when I met Joel and we ended up as roommates over there uh, the first semester we were assigned to folks and then the second semester we ended up being roommates and we goofed all, around all over Europe and um, cheated cards together and, <laughs> uh, pulled scams and busked and uh, and I think maybe my first time performing was with him at a talent show at that in the basement of that college in Rome. And how did that and, go? Uh, I was a blast. I was pretty well lit, I imagine. But uh, it was <laughs> Dutch courage. It was yeah, right. <laughs> it was it was real fun. And then we joked about it. So I I knew who his brothers were, and I met them because they would they came over to visit him. Brian came, who is a fucking prince. <laughs> That guy is really a remarkable human being. He's just a delight. I was just well. He's a fantastic comedic actor as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yep. He is, and a writer, and yeah, he's absolutely delightful. And so, uh, um, and then we joked. Joel and I kind of 
joked about working at Second City. I'd never been to Second City. I grew up knowing about it, but I'd never been. And, um, and of course, Joel grew up going a lot because of his brothers. And, um, and then when we got back to town, I, we, I was back in school trying to finish my degree. And um, we got, maybe I finished school by then. I, I don't remember the chronology, but Joel got information that this guy, Del Close, who he had met before, he knew who Del was and he'd met him before because Del was the director of that cast that I just mentioned with Brian ah. and Flaherty and stuff. And he used to be a director at Second City. Originally, he was a performer at Second City, then a director at Second City for a very long time. And so Joel knew who he was. But then he got a call from, I believe it was Bill, who said this that Dell's starting to teach classes and you should go. So Joel called me and the two of us went. And we had to, we had, the workshops had already started by a couple weeks, I guess. And so we had to, audition to get into that class in front of the class we oh, had to audition. and so we did a scene and Dell's like okay and um then we started that we just happened to stumble in there at the time Dell was attempting to develop the herald a long-form improvisation as a performance piece in itself not as a means to develop material which would be the entertainment, but the improvisation itself, he wanted to find a way that it could be consistently good enough that it could warrant the ticket um, rather than just yeah, like a second city, they'd give you their show and then they improvise for free at the end of the night. A lot of people leave, some people come in for free, you know? Um, so this was kind of the opposite of that, where the improvisation would be the evening's entertainment. And in fact, as a little rebellion, we our little improv group that performed outside of Dell's umbrella, we would do a herald and then we'd do sketches for free. <laughs> <laughs> I love that as an act of rebellion. Uh-huh. <laughs> and what was Dell like as a teacher? I mean, uh, there's so know, many I, stories. There's so many stories. Now, a friend of mine, Tim Kazarinski, uh, talked. he was directed by Dell at Second City and he talks of about three different Dells, <laughs> drunk Dell, junkie Dell, and sober Dell. And he, he goes, I hate to tell you, uh, sober Dell was not the best. Really? <laughs> uh, drunk Dell was the worst. Junkie Dell, he said, was really the best. So all I knew, he had stopped drinking and stopped taking hard drugs by the time I met him. Oh, wow. So you got the worst of the three immediately. I didn't, in <laughs> fact. He was always smoking pot, so he was ch chill. He was, uh, uh, But he was on fire about improvisation and trying to develop this Herald. So uh, we, again, we just, by happenstance, got the best that we, that we could have. He was just absolutely wonderful. Got you. No, because I heard like one story where a guy came to a class and he wasn't taking the lesson instruction very seriously, but he was very, very funny. And he was making everyone in the class laugh. And apparently Dell just lost his mind at one point, like shouted at him, wrote him a check for the money he paid for the course and told him to never come back. <laughs> yeah, um, there, they, I've heard that story too. Um, and also there's a lot of stories, but he would let... he. 
you know, less forcefully than that, remind you that that's just not what we're doing here. Mm. Um, we're not here to be funny. We're here to um, attempt to improvise moment to moment and to try to find genuine organic moments. And that's all we're doing. And I, I you know, you once you do it that way, and for me anyway, and and see even seeing it, right? Seeing a moment, um, it's like oh, I want more of that. It's you know a beautiful <laughs> little moment that was not rehearsed, was not written, was not planned, and it's beautiful anyway. And then then you experience that in your on your own, and uh, it's pretty. Um, I don't want to say addictive, but you know, it's uh, you. It's interesting. You want? I want more of it. I enjoy that. I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, I can imagine it's very creatively satisfying. You know, being so new to it and then experiencing this. Like, right, and always, state. you know, again, this was brand new. This is a brand new idea to I think all of us that this is going to be the night. Like everybody said, it, it was common in Chicago for anyone in, within acting or comedy to be in what they called an improv group, but it wasn't improvisation. It was all sketch, but they mm. called it, I mean, an improv group. And, you know, it was mocking the style of second city, which was sketches with occasional improvised games or improvised scenes within game structure. Um, so, but that the show was not improvisation. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it was kind of counterintuitive to really be portraying mm-hmm. it that way. Right. Oh, I'm in an improv group. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we do all these sketches. Okay. <laughs> and no one thought anything of it. That was the truth. That's well, what an improv group did. Well, I suppose, why would you question it if every show you've seen is kind of right. format? So Right. And what was it like? being part of the development of the Harold. I mean, obviously you probably weren't aware of what an impact that was going to have then. Absolutely but- not. We don't, you know, just like, we don't know what's, the one thing is we didn't know what it, we don't know what it looks like. Right. So we're not mm. trying to approximate something. We've never seen it. Um, and so anyone after us can look and say, Oh, that was a, that went well. Let's try to do it more like that. We don't know what it looks like. So we can't point to anything. Um, so in that regard, we were, it was kind of tabula rasa. We don't know what it's going to be. Dell had an idea because he did work on the Herald back, back in San Francisco with the, um, the committee. Mm-hmm. And they did you know, these long improvisations exploring a theme. Um, and they would then use some material out of that for their sketch show. And I understand occasionally they'd use a Herald as performance, as a placeholder while they were developing the new act of material. Whatever. So it's not the first time the Herald was performed for a paying audience, but um, it would be the first, my understanding is in Chicago, what we were doing was that it was the first time that people were paying money only for Herald. And then we would do three of them. The three to have three groups on a night. Got you. And uh, could you, if you can, illuminate uh, how the name The Harold came about? Because there's so many stories around that. It was long before us, um, and it was in San Francisco, actually. And um, my understanding, it was the piano player out there. Um, somebody said, what are you going to call it? And the Beatles had just flippantly called their haircut Arthur. Mm. 
And the piano player just said, we'll call it Harold. And it stuck. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean a fucking thing. <laughs> and I heard that Dell didn't like that name. <laughs> later I, I don't know. I don't know that he didn't like it, but that's what its name is anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> kind of like it or lump it kind of situation. Yeah, right. <laughs> so after training with Dell, how long was it before you got into teaching and coaching yourself? Well, that's one of the things that, uh, so Sharna Halpern was his partner, and without him, he would not be able to have done anything. Um, he didn't have a phone. He couldn't do any. He couldn't, he had a hard time. Uh, he's so sober or loaded. He had a hard time. Um, okay. He was one of those cr- creative geniuses that, you know, regular yeah, just life co- was just too but much. But sim- simply could, could not. And uh, so, um, yeah, he was a he was brilliant and he, he was a right cunt, as you people say, um, <laughs> uh, which is my belief is that is the, the English's greatest contribution to our language. <laughs> <laughs> the casual nature of, of that term, God bless him. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, he was, he was rough and, and, uh, in, incapable of, uh, existing and uh, much less run a business. So Sharna, without her, he would not, none of this would happen. Um, and she also was a teacher and we didn't have any money. And by this time I've quit everything. And now I'm just improvising and uh, living on a friend's floor. And he's given me some work, uh, doing construct, you know, labor and construction and, um, I'm doing some stand up for money and, uh, and also I'm doing stand up also to get more comfortable on stage as an improviser. Cause it's terrifying. And how did you like stand up? Um, what was your, how did you find that? Oh, well, I still do it. And I still find it absolutely terrifying more so than anything, um, uh, more than improvisation, more than doing a play, um, more than being on stage or on camera with, you know, big shots, <laughs> uh, for me, uh, stand up is really one of the, the, the for me, it's uh, the most terrifying. Yeah, it's um, a totally different animal to improv. Uh, I don't think to everything. Yeah, yeah, true. There's far more of an expectation. It's kind of like as soon as mm-hmm. you walk on that stage, it's like right, you're here to make me laugh. <clears throat> uh, yeah, stand up is is the the expectation, right? And I think you know, and it depends on you know, improvisation is a huge umbrella. And under that umbrella, there is improvisation where the expectation is to be funny. And like in, you know, shorter form stuff and games and things like that, that's the job. The job is to be fast, funny, and entertaining. That's the job. That's truly the job. Mm. Um, the Herald, not, not, not all of it. Sometimes that's, you don't shy away from it if it's organic, but that's not really the entirety of the job. As I understand it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. So you meet Charna, and having met Charna, I can understand. <laughs> so yes, you were, I'm she, sorry, you were asking about teaching. So w- one way to get jo- get a little bit of money or, or you get a discount on your classes, if you were further ahead, you were allowed to coach teams that were newer than you or, or teach. And so that's how it started for me. Ah, right. So you were, say, at level three, but you'd be coaching teams right, at level one, Right, but back two. then, all right, now, back then, there's no levels. It's just you go to Dell's class, 
and you go to Dell's class till you're fucking gray. Um, and it's not, there's no graduation. There's no distinction of levels. You just go to Dell's class. Ah, so you're all, it's just one group. Yes. And then after it started growing, then you go to Sharna and she gets you prepared for even just terminology and the kinds of things that you're going to be doing with Dell. And that was it. So you go to Sharna and then you go to Dell. Um, and then, uh, then it started growing from there. Ah, right. And how did you find coaching and teaching? I mean, did you enjoy it? Did it, did you find it changed your perception of improv at all? Well, I, I think there, you know, that's that saying that if you want to learn something, teach it, you know, because I have an understanding of it, but until I can explain it to you, it's, it's can be real fluid and plastic. But once I distill it and am able to communicate it to you, it, crystallizes for me as well um it, i find it difficult uh to teach i because um you know you see, there's a lot of shitty teachers and, <laughs> I and they totally teach agree a, with that yeah. yeah and they teach a lot of shitty things and i don't want to do that i don't want to i don't want to either f- foster bad ideas or and i also don't want to you know step on anyone's creativity or understanding so uh the teaching that i do anymore is just like look this is what we're doing here today um do whatever you want i don't want to you know tell you what you're doing is wrong um but this is the way i look at it um and that's what we're going to do here today disregard it when we leave but i'm not interested in you changing me (laughs) (laughs) so this isn't a discussion you know um so you have more of a laid-back approach, uh, like you. Yeah, I mean, because you know, I think Dell turned. I loved the style that Dell taught in. I absolutely, it, it, it was great for me. Um, he was a no bullshit. You got a couple warnings, and then you got your fucking ass handed to you. Um, <laughs> and and when you'd see, like, j- similarly, when you saw something beautiful on stage, you want to emulate that. When you saw, when you see somebody get their ass whipped. It's like, oh, I want to make sure I don't do that. Um, So I found it to be fine uh, because I also knew that he was very, he was passionate about improvisation and he was protective of it and um, and of our, of what we were attempting to do. And not everyone was interested in, like, you know, like we always thought of improvisation before. Oh, it's, you know, you go there to be funny. You go there to be better at public speaking. He looked at it differently. This is a. This could be something more beautiful. Got you. Yeah, I mean, for that time, it sounds like now it's hard to comprehend how novel a concept that was then, because it's such a big part of kind of the entertainment industry as a whole these days. But you know, back then, for it just to be kind of a tool to either write sketch from or a tool for advertising executives to to be better at pitching, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's, yeah. it's, it's a weird thing to kind of get your head around. So when we're when we're doing that, those workshops, there are this is not an exaggeration. There are maybe fifty people on the planet that know about a Herald, right? Those people in San Francisco, yeah, and we in Chicago. That's it. <laughs> TJ and I went uh, on a little. We did some shows and in, in, in workshops and around in cities in Europe 
there were people from Russia, Slovenia, Germany, Italy, Austria, uh, Denmark, England, Ireland, Italy, France. All of them knew what a herald was. And what was that like for you? That must have been it fairly mind-blowing. It was absolutely mind-blowing. It's like, <laughs> what the fuck? This is all... Also, first of all, being brought around Europe to improvise, that's <laughs> fucking impossible. To do long-form improvisation, that's impossible. That's, that's just impossible. And actually, the first time I was brought anywhere to improvise was uh, Kilkenny. Really? Michael yeah, Michael McCarthy. Uh, was one of the producers of that festival, um, uh, Cat Laughs. And the first year it was Guinness. And then it was Murphy's, I think, um, were the sponsors. And he brought over a group of us. We had double duty. There was double duty going on, whereas you were in a sketch show or you're doing maybe some uh, stand-up. But uh, the first year I was brought over only to improvise. And, I, and I mean, that's just... that. That's crazy that someone be, would be brought from Chicago to Kilkenny to improvise and then get paid. I mean, it was... Uh, That's mad. What uh, year would this yeah. have been? Uh, probably 25 years ago. Wow. That's crazy. And how did it go down? What was the response like to the improv show in Kilkenny? They really enjoy it. You know, that's the worry. That's always everyone's worry is, oh, people aren't going to get it. Fucking, they, they get it. <laughs> uh, uh that's I mean, oftentimes theater owners and producers are like, oh, people aren't going to get it. Uh, we did it in the back of a bar called Clears. We were doing Heralds. We did a Herald at the at the Watergate, right, the big theater, and and people they're on board. I mean, that's what it requires. So it's that's another thing that I love about it. It requires the audience to be willing to go along with you come up. We're all going to find out. Let's go together. And so it takes a certain kind of audience. That is not a stand-up audience. The audience, the stand-up audience, like you're saying, is arms folded. Fuck you. Make me laugh. <laughs> um, but that's, that's impossible for us to improvise with those people because I do believe that's what's happening. We're improvising with the audience, mm. with them in this room. Um, and it's not merely for them or at them. So, yeah. and I think it couldn't have been fostered anywhere but Chicago because um, it takes that. The, the audiences in Chicago are just fucking patient. They're patient. And they'll, you know, they'll get mad if you're, you know, wasting their time. But um, they're real. Let's see what this is. They'll come. I'm just out of curiosity, how did you find the difference in audiences when you toured like Europe, for example, and the UK compared to the American audiences? Did you see like a big difference or was it similar? Very similar. Um, sometimes language was, you know, uh, sometimes language is not merely language, but, you know, because for TJ and Dave, this stuff's kind of personal. And so it might be colloquial as well. So that people don't have a chance to connect as well. So that's on us. That's not on them. Got you. Got you. And obviously you've been part of some very famous reviews at Second City. How did, how did that come about? Was that through Dell? Was, did you audition? or Audition. Um, so we're, uh, Joel and I go through Dell's workshops. We start doing the Herald. Then we start performing the Herald live. And... Our gang then, as I told you, walk, we, we did we performed heralds up 
that was a place called Cross Currents uh, for Sharna and Dell. And then we went down the street to a place called uh, Gas Bars, which is now called Shuba's. And it's a an old Schlitz. The breweries used to have these meeting halls for their employees, communities. And so they're all, they're dotted all over Chicago still. They're all just bars now. But the front was a bar and the back was a, uh, a room where they'd have, you know, first communions and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there was a stage there. So we cleared out that room and did our little shows on that stage. Um, and now Shubas is one of the coolest little music venues in, in the city. But um, uh, we like, it was being used for storage. And so we did our show down there. And Second City, the people who were hiring for Second City all came to that review and they're just like, well, what the fuck? Look at these guys. Wow. And they didn't see, I don't think, a lot of polished talent. And that's what's, you know, Second City wasn't like it is. Anyway, they didn't see a lot of polished talent, but they saw a bunch of people who will do, who will um, support anything that's going on 100%. Without question, then that's what we were. We were this this gang. We were I don't know five six guys, two or three women, and uh, we would whatever anybody started, everyone just jumped in, no matter how foolish we'd look or how bad the idea was. <laughs> we supported one another a hundred percent. Was just it was uh, that was pretty great. So they came and watched, and they hired every male but me. Are you serious? Yeah. And they, uh, Second City did for a touring company. That there was a you know finite number of spaces. Um, there was one fewer space than we had guys, and I was left off. And so that really stung at the time. Of course, it turned yeah. out to be absolutely fantastic because then I got to spend more time with Dell. Ah, um, okay. And we did. Uh, it was it turned. I would never. I sitting here today. I wouldn't choose it. But it was. Uh, it, was, it turned out to be great. And then I ended up getting hired there. The next time an opportunity, you know, the next space that became available, I got. And during that time with Dell, I mean, did you, did you, because you did two prov with Dell at one point as well, didn't you? No, we did not improvise. We ah. So I did, uh, so then I ended up working at Second City, did a few reviews there, and we got Dell back to direct us at Second City because Bernie Sounds, uh, stopped as direct he was the director forever and he just like i'm done and it was in the middle of us putting up a next show and so joel and i went in and talked to the producers like can you bring dell back and she did and so we did a show for dell at second city and then um and then i ended up doing a play my very first play with dell really yes we were castmates in a play at what was the, the Remains play? Theater. It was called The Chicago Conspiracy Trial about the Chicago 7. Oh, I wow. played Abby Hoffman and he played uh, David Dellinger. And um, it was a hoot. And we spent a lot of time together during that. And during that time we did spend together, we wrote a show called Dell and Dave in, re- in rehearsal for the apocalypse. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a two-person little show. And it was basically us sitting around his kitchen table telling stories. Amazing. It, it really wasn't much more than that. 
And um, how, did, how did you find working with Dell then at that point, you know, compared to having, you know, it was an improv with him? He was great. Oh. He was, it was really great. He really, depending upon the situation, I mean, when he's your teacher, he's your teacher. When he's your castmate, he's your castmate. And when, you know, we're coming up with stuff together, we're coming up with stuff together. And then after that, I ended up working with him. I was just, he was using me to um, try stuff with. And uh, sometimes he'd ask me to direct stuff for him. And then it was just, it was great. And he ended up being a fucking jag off to my kids. And like, ah, I don't that, that I mean, a real jag off, like, and so really? like you, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get out of here. And oh, I didn't, why? yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it was a drag. Oh. It was a real drag. But he can't, you know, he's fucked up. He couldn't help himself. Yeah, I suppose it's kind of like dynamite. You know, you gotta be handled with care, kind of thing. Yeah, sense. right. And like, yeah, it, it was, yeah. And it's, yeah, I got my theories, but who knows. Um, and so that was a drag. So then we had this uh, long time. I didn't have any contact with him. And then before he died, we ended up getting back together. Got you. Oh, well, that's, that's good. Yeah. And um, while you were at Second City, did uh, Bernie Salins or Paul Sills have a big impact on you as a performer? It, it, well, uh, Bernie Salins, of course, he was that director that I said uh, stopped during the middle of that first review that Joel and I were in together. He, he had always been the director there. And um, I ended up working f- for Bernie another time in a, a Second City review uh, mm-hmm. down at the University of Chicago after he had left Second City. We were, I worked with him another time when we came up with uh, a show with this crazy band. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and he was a friend of mine. Most importantly, we uh, hung out together a lot. And he was... Yes, a huge influence, a huge influence. So Bernie and improvisation, Bernie's the one who absolutely believes that improvisation is a tool to create material. Dell believes improvisation is the material. Those two never changed their minds. I'll bet that didn't cause any arguments. (laughs) No, right. And Bernie, so Bernie, I got... we. TJ and I used to do our show at 11 p.m. on Wednesday nights up in Wrigleyville in Chicago. I got Bernie at 80 years old to come see our show. And afterwards, he said, <laughs> well, you guys can do it. Doesn't mean it can be done. Uh, <laughs> so begrudging. <laughs> right, but he is, I think his point was ordinarily improvisation lacks uh, depth and um, connection and things like that um, because they're not trying to. That's my belief is they think that they have a different job description. Uh, most improvisers and most people going to see improvisation, they think it's something else. There's a Here's a wonderful little anecdote from one of those workshops that we were teaching when we were abroad. I believe this was in Vienna. This woman was there. And we'd have everybody do the just at the very beginning. They don't know each other of these workshops. No one knows each other. They're from all over the world. Just go out there and do 45-second two-person scenes. And then cut each other off or we'll cut you off. We're not doing whole scenes. Just let me see y'all. We want to see you working together. And this one woman kept 
walking out and doing crazy voices and, you know, weird motions of silly walks and stuff like that and busting into people's scenes. And it's like, uh, uh, TJ and I didn't say anything, but we shared a look like, okay, we got our, <laughs> got our work cut out for us there. So then we just start doing what we do. And she comes up to us at intermission and she says, thank you. I didn't know we could do this. Really? I mean, you saw me. she thought she was doing the job that she was asked to do why um and it was just that to me was absolutely lovely you know like oh right yeah no you don't have to be funny you don't have to be funny you don't have to you don't have to do any you don't have to talk that's i think that's something that is is kind of resounded with me from your book and having seen you guys perform is you know with improv you can put an awful lot of pressure on yourself to you know try and make the audience laugh every few seconds or you know the audience should be laughing the entire way through your show but what having seen you guys i I never laughed once right (laughs) no when i saw you guys i mean the first time i saw you it was it was really dramatic and it was it was a really beautiful scene. Like there were funny moments, but it was very very moving. And then the second time I saw you, I was in hysterics the whole way through it. And it just it just made me aware that you both have the ability to really move the audience, but also have them in hysterics. And it's just you want to pursue truth, and whatever comes out of that is what happens. And I th- I think other players you know, use the cop out. Oh, you don't have to be, improv doesn't have to be funny, but they make no effort to actually entertain. It's more self-indulgent. And I think that's kind of a line that just, it can be blurred sometimes. Yeah. Like, so one of the things for us is, do we believe what, that's why we started doing the show. Well, for, for, for me, one of the reasons I started doing the show was I do not see the kind of improvisation that I was taught I don't see an example of it on stage anywhere. Um, and this so is that was in the nineties, was it? Ah, fuck, long time ago. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right around two thousand, I think. Okay, so you, um, but you'd taken a bit of a hiatus from improv at that point, hadn't you, for a few years? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd always do stuff when I went out to LA. Sharna had a place out there, and Jeff and Jane Michalski had a place out there, and we would always. Um, I loved working. And all, see, the thing is, most of the guys I came up with were no longer in Chicago. Oh, like all. Oh. They, they're, they're no longer in Chicago. So I didn't have a gang to, to play with, really. I'd work with Joe Bill sometimes in Chicago, um, but it was, you know, rare. We had a little group doing stuff. Yeah, it was not as frequent, for sure. Got you. So when you teamed up with TJ Jagodowski, obviously, to do the now legendary TJ and Dave, did, did you have a clear goal in mind? Was it looking around and seeing that, you know, the, the stuff you were no. taught wasn't in practice? That was it. That was it for me. He just wanted, you know, um, I think the, we did a show together. We got introduced to doing a show. I mean, I'd met TJ once before. He's considerably younger than I am, so we didn't know each other at Second City. And, uh, but I'd seen him there, and um, I met him once there. And then we did this show together and we had a lovely time performing and also before performing. Um, and uh, 
So we got, I think Noah Gregoropoulos is the one suggested to TJ for us two to work together. And so we sat down one day at a coffee shop. Yeah, I, I was happened to be doing a play at the time, but when this is over, I'd love to. And he said, who should we get? And I remember it was my suggestion. Well, knowing that it's easier to add people than subtract people, <laughs> um, let's just see who's needed. Let's see how many we need. Um, and uh, so we just started out with the two of us. And the first show we did was three separate bad scenes. <laughs> that was the first time we performed. And it was objectively bad. Um, and then we decided, well, I don't want to do that again. Um, and so we were thinking, well, let's say, you know, the way I was taught was pursue moments, just go moment to moment and don't worry about anything else. And also we kind since we did those three scenes, it, when it gets uncomfortable, you just leave. So we removed that. We removed that possibility. So you got rid of we're that spare gonna, shoot kind of thing? Right. We're not going to be able to bail. We have to sit in it, even if it's awkward and uncomfortable, and just respond moment to moment. Not always funny, not always easy, but just honestly respond moment to moment and see what happens. And we did that at our second performance. We tried to do that, I think. And then we ended up discovering that, well, if we're honest to this moment, somebody would walk in right now. And so we'd go be the person that walked in. And then he'd go be somebody else. And like, well, but his first guy would be responding now. So I'd go play his first. It just happened by, not by planning, just by necessity. Any of, any of what it became just happened by what we viewed as necessity. Like have, having done, like I'm obviously nowhere near as experienced as yourself, Dave, but having done two prof myself, it's, it's hard to keep track of multiple characters that you're playing, not only for yourself, but what you're seeing partners playing. And the audience. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you have to define them so clearly, each one, for the audience to keep track, which obviously you and TJ do masterfully. But do you have any tips for improvisers who are like doing two prof, like for, you know, maintaining that with multiple characters? Um... And again, this comes out of any of any of the ideas that I think TJ and I ever came up with are only in hindsight. It's like this seems to work better. So let's this seems to work better. Oh, it seems to work better when we did that. Well, that didn't work. Let's stop doing that. <laughs> um, and um, one of the things is that try to so especially when it's uh, two person. The other person is the most important person in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And that's selfish, which is fine. Um, I need to pay really close attention to this person because they have everything I need. I, they have all the information. Um, by the way they look at me, I know who I am. By the way they look at me, um, I know what our relationship is. Uh, by where they choose to how they choose to walk or walk toward me or walk away from me, I get to, it tells me more about me. Um, not, and, and so that's also all within this larger heading of it's already happening. So I don't have to make shit up. 
Mm. I just have to. So the job is notice what's happening, not imagine what it could be, because that's much harder. <laughs> Got you. Uh, so what is actually happening right now? That guy's coming at me pretty quick. Um, uh, what am I going to do? Um, by the way, he's looking at me. Um, he thinks I'm a pushover. He's got a lesson coming, right? Or I'm a pushover. I can choose to do whatever I want with that information, but I should have all the information I can just out of self-preservation. And also, I got to pay attention to what that guy's doing because I may have to play him. Um, and I will be humiliated if I don't know these things about him that the audience does know because they've got the best seat. I should know at least as much as the audience. Um, so for me, a lot of it is avoiding humiliation is a, is a great motivator to pay attention. <laughs> Absolutely. So essentially you lose yourself in the moment and what's happening to each individual character. And then if TJ makes a move, you become that character to respond to what's happening. So you, that's, how, that's kind of how you're able to navigate playing three or four characters simultaneously. <laughs> Right, if needed. And now, also, what is it special about that character? Because, so for us, it was pointed out to us. We didn't do this on purpose. It was pointed out to us that this is kind of the, it's unlike a Herald in that we do our shows in real time. Mm. It's one hour. So if, if somebody jumps over there, either they were there all along or we're in a new location. Because I know time hasn't changed. Um. And we just, somebody pointed that out to us. We were doing that, but somebody pointed that out and made it very clear. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and also, it's really helpful to, when establishing a character, make sure there's a physical attribute to it. So that, like that guy, you know, um, whatever it happens to be, he, he, adjust his glasses a lot right mm. so now if i go over there and i start adjusting my glasses tj knows the audience knows and it helps me remember it really grounds me back into that character if there's a physical attribute um constantly shooting his cuffs you know uh of a, of a sport jacket that um, so it not only communicates information to everyone else, but it helps me remember in, in my body this character. Now, trying to think like other people, that's the real heart. <laughs> I mean, just hearing you say that reminds me of when I saw you guys in London and you were... Oh, doing man, that was so much fun, those, the Soho Theatre. Yeah, and they were fantastic. I only got to see one annoyingly. Like, I tried to get two, but it just sold out so fast. They were all exactly the same. You missed nothing. <laughs> None of it was made up. <laughs> we did the same show five nights. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but um, you played, uh, obviously you played multiple characters. The, the night I saw you were all in a bar, and the entire thing was in a bar. And you played an elderly lady who sat at the piano drinking. And at one point you said, um, you didn't address it at all. Like you were just the character. And then at one point you said, oh, you know, I, I, I don't like to play the piano. I just like to sit here and drink. <laughs> and I just thought, <laughs> and it was so specific. And 
the way you physically portrayed her at this piano was just so clear. It made me wonder, I mean, have you seen this woman in a bar or in some sort of setting and just registered it subconsciously or otherwise? I mean, how, like... Per- is that- perhaps. I don't recall that, ha- having heard that line anywhere. But yeah, and also, it's... It, the uh, um, Another one of the benefits of not being concerned with the outcome. So paying attention includes paying attention to me, mm. right? Listening. That includes listening to me. Not only do I have to uh, clock what I've said and what I've, how I've moved and what I've done, but it's also really helpful to acknowledge what I'm feeling. Like I'm feeling this for a reason. Well, that made me like I, uh, my intention was to bully this person, but something they just said softened me. So I can, I could both continue to bully them because that was my idea. Or I could take that in as like, ah, uh, lighten up a little bit or something, you know, but just to, you know, the, the idea of paying attention is to those things as well. And, and the reason is because it's fucking magical. Uh, it's, I do not, den- do not deny yourself um, the wonders of paying attention and responding to it, right? Respond honestly in this moment. Oh, that guy just fucking wrecked me. I'm a big, tough bully, but now I've just been wrecked. Um And that's far more interesting than remaining the bully. Absolutely. And it's so much more true to life because even in an argument, no matter how angry you are, if someone blurts something out that hits you, you're not going to still remain furious. That's going to affect you and will curb your anger at the very least. So, I mean, and as you say, you, you, you play truthfully. So that makes total sense. Right. And it's fine, you know, also there's no... I need a reason to change. I'm I'm happy to change, but I'm not going to change just because uh, dramatically it would be more interest, you know, more uh, acceptable. I need a reason to change, um, and that's what I think audiences get mad at. They like bat, you know, they bail out, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that wasn't real. That guy's now they're all made up, and they're oh, fuck them. Um, <laughs> You know, they need, a, I, 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 I'm happy to change. I need a reason to change. Um, if I just change for no reason, then I'm useless. Um, one of the things, and so one of the reasons that I think what we say is measured is because we don't want to have to, we, we, one of the things in our workshops that we do not, there's few things we don't allow. Um, you can't say I'm sorry. So. Wow. So say what you mean, because you're not going to apologize for it to get to get out of it. Because um, that just now we just erased these moments from before. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that means you didn't mean it. Then why did we just do that if you didn't mean it? So say what you mean and stick to it. Uh, although be open to change. Anyway. No, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I suppose it goes back to if there's an issue, you don't want to create a you know a resolution right away. Otherwise, there's no scene. So if you apologize, you're essentially doing that after building all this tension, developing all the, this scene. Yeah, but also it makes me responsible to the words I'm using. 
Mm. Right. If I'm not sure, don't say it. There, you know, you don't have to talk. I remember a friend of mine, he said this about this actress. Oh, yeah. She thinks improvisations talking on stage. <laughs> right. That's a lot of people think that mm. a lot of people who are doing it think that. Um, that's not what it is. I, I totally agree. I mean, uh... Like one thing I did notice, having seen you perform, and you know it's heavily emphasized in your book as well, is you know subtext is such a big part of your show. And I remember there was a scene where you were frying bacon, and you were like, you know, very relaxed, and you were just this character, very satisfied in watching the bacon fry. And TJ was portraying this very hysterical female character, and it was clear that there was a relationship between you, be it like husband and wife or something that hadn't been quite defined just yet. And rather than you rushing over to, you know, comfort TJ's character, um, you offered, you offered uh, his character either, um, do you want some bacon or a biscuit? And PJ, or sorry, TJ, um, looked at you horrified and went, do I want a biscuit or bacon? And the whole room erupted into laughter. And your character just carried on from the baby. I could just see you squeezing your fist like, I, I can't deal with this. And it was incredible because so much was communicated between your two characters. But you literally, it was like a Meisner exercise, you know, like a repetition. You basically just said a line. He said it back to you and that was it. Yeah. And also I think uh, sometimes like we're, uh, we're in a big hurry to find out the relationship or t- put a label on it, right? Wait a minute. Who are we? Where are we? What are we? Who are we? Where are we? What are we doing? Right? Yeah. yeah. We got to get that out. Hello, my brother that I haven't seen for 12 years. It's nice to be here in this living room having lunch. Like no one has ever said that in real life. (laughs) No one mentions the room they're in. They're just in the room. Mm. Um, And no one except Chekhov says, my brother who I haven't seen, of course, you remember last time I saw you, the fight with father. Like no one, that's just exposition that never needs to, it's unnecessary. It's all, and so I think the the reason that we try to get it out there is like, okay, we're brothers. We haven't seen each other in a long time. We're in this living room. We're having lunch. Great. Okay, fine. Now we know that ham-handedly and artificially. Now, now we know, or now we know that. Okay, now what? Oh, right. We still now we're no better off. <laughs> we're that didn't get us anywhere. We still have to improvise the who of this scene, and so that's the most important thing. Who are we to one another? Where we are? What label you put on it? really it's unhelpful it's, it's unhelpful because some father-son relationships are more like buddies some you know uh general private relationships are father-son things you know it doesn't matter the titles that we put on it as much as how we're actually behaving so you like it and i and i understand the reason like oh because we're going to be safe then now we'll be safe because improvisation is scary. Now we're going to be safe. Oh, no, it didn't get us anywhere. We're still, it's still scary because we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Um, 
So just know what I'm doing. And if all I'm doing is cooking bacon, just fucking cook bacon. That's plenty. Like you were saying, you, you just said it. You just described a scene of from, I don't know how long ago, I don't know the show, but you just described a scene, described a scene and said what I was doing in the scene was watching bacon fry. Apparently, that's enough because you remembered it. <laughs> you didn't say what I was saying. You didn't say how I was standing or what face I was making. All I was doing was watching bacon fry. And you remember that. Um, so apparently that's enough. <laughs> no, absolutely. And it, it, it was incredible because I knew where you were. I knew what you were doing. Uh, I, I got a sense of what the relationship was. But like none of it had been said. It was all just moving and, you know, the way you reacted to one another. And that opened my eyes a lot. And it kind of brought me back to the heat and weight technique, you know, which fascinated me when I read about it in your book. Uh, mm-hmm. would, you mind, would you mind explaining just briefly like heat and weight to the listeners? Um, well, um, and again, it's, it's, if it's helpful, if it's helpful to anyone, that's all, that's the only reason for it is if it's helpful. So uh, it's in determining, it's, it's a way to think about, what is already happening, the heat and fuck, man, um, the, the, how serious a situation is this, is the weight, right? Is that right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, th- that they have terms is, is confusing, <laughs> but these are the things that to watch out for, like how, mm-hmm. what is the feeling in this room that we're in here? Holy fuck. Somebody just died, and we're sad, right? That is what this feels like. This doesn't feel like a, a commercial exchange in a bakery. This feels like something just happened. Mm. Um, and now, who is it that I'm like? Also, um, am I, I? Am that's what's in the room. Now, what about me and this other person? Um, what is this? This feels like a loving relationship. Okay, it's a loving relationship. Somebody just died. My guess is we're siblings. Fine. We treat it like siblings. It might be spouse. I don't know. But it's a lo- as long as we're on, as long as we acknowledge what's actually happening, we don't have to worry about being non-coplanar. Fuck. That's a fucking geometry term. Wow. I'm really proud of myself right now. Um, because that's when, that's, and again, this is only if it's useful. Because uh, if we're like uh, somebody's pounding nails at a workshop and the other person is uh, catching butterflies in the park and they're supposedly in the same scene, you're fucked. <laughs> that you're absolutely fucked. The best you can do is come up with a reason, some insane reason why there's a workshop in the park or why there's butterflies in the workshop. It's like fucking stupid. Um, so uh, the heat and weight allow us to be in the same place 
under the same circumstances. And that's what we need in order to be in the same scene. So, and it's already there. We're not like, it's not me describing to you, there's a funeral upstairs. Um, it's what we notice is going on. And they know that, the, you know, those heat seeking or those uh, infrared binoculars. Yeah. And you see, you, if you see in those, you see, oh, there's a thing walking in the distance. Okay, it's got four legs. All right. And once it gets closer, you can tell if it's a hyena, a gazelle, a lion, a cheetah. But not at first. But it doesn't matter at first. There's a mammal out there. And it's a long way away. And as it comes more and more, so we just both agree, yep, that's a mammal out there and it's a long way away. That's all we need to know. Holy shit, that thing is coming at us at a clip. All right, that tells us more. Um, it's bigger than us. We should go, right? Uh, but at first, it's, it's as it develops. But it can only develop for both of us if we both recognize what's happening at each step of the way. So the heat is the anger or love. And there's other options. Those aren't the only <laughs> But those kinds of things. And the, the weight is the seriousness of the situation. And again, right. only if that's helpful. Uh, reading it, it made so much sense to me. And it's I, so funny though. You do, you do these workshops and there, and people are trying to parse, well, is that more heat or weight that you like, <laughs> that you're missing, missing the point, missing the point. This is an exact science. I mean, that one's got a higher heat, but a lower weight, right? Like is now are they the same, are similar densities? And like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> and I get it. I absolutely understand that because there's a lot of, like there's the belief that, oh, if I learn more about it, it will be easier to do. And it's simply not true. <laughs> um, one needs to do it and fail at doing it. And our failures hopefully help you have better failures. That's it. Um, that's what they used to talk about at Second City. Fail. That's what we were encouraged to do, to go out there and fail. Fail tonight more spectacularly than you failed last night. I don't love that. fail. Don't fail the same way tonight because that's just being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, I heard some improv advice before, and it was um, I want you to go out there and I want you to either nail it or fail spectacularly. <laughs> I've yeah. always kind of kept that in mind because yeah. either way, the audience will be entertained. <laughs> so, right, as w right, and me too. Yeah, I'll be entertained. Also, I'll yeah. either have yeah a well, story, it. <laughs> or I'll either have a story or uh, some glory. <laughs> exactly. You know, with the the heat and weight, what I loved about that is, you know, it's so easy to forget to check in with your scene partner. You can come out and you know you could be focused on, you know, object work or scene painting or, you know, if you have a premise that you really really want to get out and you know things like that. But just the simple act of registering with your scene partner and you know, what emotion, what physicality, you know, what are you getting from them? How are they, in, you know, what, what's, what's the tension of the situation like? Mm -hmm. you know, those things, it seems so obvious, you know, when I read it, but it's just something that, you know, you would never think to do because, you know, when you're doing an improv scene, there's so many other things going through your head simultaneously, you know? Yeah, but that's the job. 
I think I appreciate it more because I do two prov with my brother and obviously we have a strong kind of connection and, you know, we can almost anticipate what the other one's going to do. But oftentimes you'll you'll get too lost in the little details, whereas, you know, the heat and weight, if I, if I took the time to do that, we'd get so much more from scenes. And I think that's a big thing I, t- I took away from your book and it's something I'm definitely going to put into practice. Um, Sorry, I keep uh, recommend mentioning your book. Um, TJ and Dave have a book, which is fantastic, and I recommend everyone to read it. It's Improv at the Speed of Life, and it's, it's a must-read for anyone that wants to develop and kind of move forward with their improv training or you know, to develop as a performer. Thank you. No, no. Yeah, we, we, uh, it's, a, it's a, you know, writing a book about improvisation is because it changes, and it's just what, it's just basically all look kind of the way that we look at it and if it's helpful that's great if it's not helpful i get it no no it's for me personally and for many people who recommended it to me it's been very very helpful so i can assure you that um one question dave i've seen you perform multiple times in tj and dave but i've always been curious whenever before the show starts you come out and TJ kind of scans the audience, but you move chairs around in the background. Is there is there a specific reason for that, or is it just like you know a luck thing, or what, why do you do that? Um, well, the chairs need to be set. They're usually three in the middle, and we just split them up two and one because that's usually it's. I move them around. To, uh, I just move them. I you don't just uh, for you listeners. I don't just get up there and fucking move chairs around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I placed there's three chairs and I placed them on the stage. What the fuck? You got you move chairs around. Um, uh, I wasn't saying it like that. I didn't mean not. Dave is uh, very OCD and the chairs have to be in a very specific way before the show can actually start. Uh, no, it's just to set them and and depending upon like what it uh, maybe see what two over here is like tonight or maybe it's a you know two of them not facing one and you know two of them facing one another and that one over there it's whatever it feels like right then for no reason other than that kind of feels like this Ah. um and that's it because i heard a rumor that you do it to channel your energy before the show someone told me that and i was just curious um nope (laughs) it's actually to to channel mr david mamet so that I might be more in touch with no, but you know, uh, there's a, a, a mammoth quote that I think is fantastic for improvisation, and it's in the book. Um, but he, it, um, uh, true and false is, is his his book on acting, and he says, and I think this is correct: the interchange between two people on stage is always occurring, is always unplanned, and is always fascinating. And I agree. Mm. So it's, which suggests it's already happening. You don't have to make it happen. It's already happening. And it's already fascinating. So it takes a lot of the onus off of me. It's already happening. It's already fascinating. So, you know, stand down. Um, it doesn't, it, your work is done. Just figure out what's going on. Um, then he goes on to say, 
and it is to the uh, end of obscuring that interchange that all acting schools are founded. Founded. Um, so he's not a big fan of acting schools. <laughs> <laughs> but like, uh, it's right. He's teach his. I think he's, his point is that they're they're going to teach you how to make it fascinating. And his point is, it's already fascinating. And if it if it if you notice it's fascinating, it wasn't their doing. Yeah. So, and again, like it's not, it's already fascinating. I think that's really, there's a lot of freedom in that. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't have to do as much as I think I have to do. It's all on us. No, (laughs) it's all been done. It's all, all your work is done. Yeah. And I think a lot of improvisers tend to forget like reaction is where a lot of the, you know, the, the humor or the drama comes from, you know, it's not about, making things happen or trying to plan it or, you know, trying to orchestrate it. You know, if you just genuinely react to something that's being said to you, that's going to get the whole thing moving so much more smoothly. And, you know, right. That's the, right. So that is the yes. And right. I honestly react. Yeah. That's it. I, I take what you mean to be real, right. What you just established, I take to be real. That is my job, right? So if we've established there's a fire there and you say, jump in the fire. If I don't say, fuck you, um, I am denying the reality, right? Mm. So like that's, in that case, yes and doesn't sound as yes andy, but it is. No, fuck you. That is that that is yes and. <laughs> I, absolutely. I mean, I, I've seen scenes where a character will come out and initiate, and it's the most insane, disturbing character you've ever seen. And they'll try to convince someone to do something, and you know the audience loves it when they turn around and go, "No, I'm I'm absolutely not going to do that." <laughs> yeah, because it's crazy. In, unless that's. Right. Unless we've established previously that we're in some bizarro world and then, OK, but yeah, and respond honestly, given the information that we've agreed to up until this point, we're living in this world. No, that's, we don't do that in this world. Just out of curiosity, Dave, what, what would you say is the best improv advice you ever received? Well, I guess, you know, it's part of the, it's all the, so I, I today am attempting to do what I was attempting to do with Dell and Judy Morgan. Respond honestly. I think play at the top of your intelligence is one of the, play at the top of your intelligence is one of the most helpful things. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I was told that when I started out and it's so true because when someone acts like they don't understand what's going on around them. It's so frustrating for the audience because it just stalls everything. Right, right. It's like nobody believes it. Like no one doesn't know that. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And what would you say is your worst improv experience? And like, what did you learn from it after? Well, um, a couple different kinds of worst, um, (laughs) uh, right? playing other people, playing with other people. And what you learn is I'll never be on stage with them again. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, shows that some venues, uh, um, there was a, ser- 
oh, God, my stomach's turning just thinking about it. <laughs> um, I can't wait to hear this one. <laughs> uh, TJ and I up in up in uh, Montreal. Really? Um, yeah, we went to. We were invited up to do the uh, Just for Laughs festival, and um, we should not have been there. Um, and we were in a venue that was. 93 degrees um oh my god uh for those of you over there it's almost 34 degrees celsius <laughs> um so uh no air conditioning in this fucking attic in front of people who were came to who bought tickets just a series of tickets to stand up they oh. thought they were walking into a stand-up club, and instead they walked into a 93-degree attic with guys up there sweating and just kind of talking. And they, it was brutal, and we had to do that 10 nights in a row. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, the old, uh, the anticipation of death is far worse than death itself. That's... There, I can attest. It must have been such a sweet feeling when you finish the last show. You're like, I oh, never have was. to do this again. But yeah, you'd think it, even that wasn't. It's like, oh, fuck, it was just humiliating each time. And then they were, you know, they weren't, it wasn't on them. Um, and we gave them, also, we were not doing good shows. And that, was, that was the roughest it's been with TJ. I've had all other horrible experiences with other people. No, I think, yeah. I think- yeah, I mean, and also like it's just getting going with the Herald. Those were humblers, you know, those were awful. A lot of it was awful. Mm. Um, I remember my father coming to watch and he said, now, I know why you're doing this. <laughs> um, why do people come and see it? Oh, my <laughs> God, really? Well, I mean, and he, yeah, he's like, well, this just seems like a workshop. And, you know especially at the beginning of doing Harold. Absolutely. It was very much like a workshop and people, the audiences didn't know what they were there to see. And we find that too with TJ and Dave. A lot of times the audience doesn't know what they're about to see and they don't, you know, they, they don't believe it's improvised and also it's not funny. And so they're sitting there and you can see them for like the first and they, they just heard about it, right? We didn't used to have that. People came to see us because they were, they understood what was. Now, they come and they don't, they've never sorry, been to Sorry, Dave, uh, it just broke up. They're just saying now uh, they come. Um, the line broke up a little bit there. I forget. But now they, they come uh, because they've been told it's something that would be fun to see. So they, they come and they don't, they've never seen improvisation. And they sit there and they start watching us and they're kind of mute because they don't know if this is going well, right? Because nobody's really laughing. And, but the people around me seem to not be worried. And those two guys on stage don't seem to be worried. <laughs> I guess this is going well. And then they kind of, after a while, after about, it really takes them about 15 or 20 minutes. Then they started to, re, they just have to recalibrate. Oh, it's not going to be a bunch of laughs. It's not going to be a bunch of material. It's, we're just going to watch these people live for an hour. Okay. And then they're, they're all on board. 
They just didn't know what they they just didn't know. Yeah, yeah, and it, it is so different to everything else you'd see really at I.O. You know, a lot of it's, you know, some shows are like 15 people on stage if it's an Armando right. or you get like eight shows. I mean, there's a puppet improvised show. Sure, right, yeah. You know what I mean? So like it, it is very, very different, but I think that's what made it so special and that's why it stood out so much when you started doing it is because it was just this kind of breathtaking experience when you go to see it. That's That's how I found it anyway. How do you prepare for shows, Dave? I mean, do you have a specific kind of routine for, uh, in order to get in the, you know, the zone? Or yeah, I think you know, part of uh, yeah, I think the job is part part of what I'm supposed to do is show up <laughs> without an agenda, and so I that's all I try to do before the show is to rid myself of agenda. Got you. So is that like? You know, if you've got a specific topic in your mind that day, you just try to get rid of that and just clear your Or mind. not even that, like, as I rarely walk around with anything in my mind. Um, <laughs> just very uh, carefree. Yeah, just, uh, that's a nice way to put it. Uh, addled is more accurate. Um, uh, just to be pre- prepared, right? Without, mm. with, really, I mean that any agenda... I've been thinking about for the day, but like, um, I just remind myself that um, I don't know what's about to happen. And I mean, obviously, and also to remind myself that he is not to, out to harm me. <laughs> yeah, right? You- I think that's an, an important thing. To I mean, it's it's not easy. I mean, it's not difficult for me to to know that with TJ. Um, but I think that's an, a really important mindset to walk onto a show with, because otherwise I'm kind of guarded and I'm looking to get fucked with. And it happens, you know, those are the people I don't work with anymore. I don't, if I'm looking out for you stabbing me in the back, I can't really be doing much else. So, um, I don't like going, it makes it impossible for, uh, me to do the kinds of things I like to do if that's on stage also. And obviously, you know, at the top of the show, when you're, you know, the first few seconds, you you're, you observe each other and, you know, to identify the heat and the weight. And are you very mindful of how you're feeling right before you go on stage? So, or. No, we try really. It, it's, I do get to the point where I don't really have much going on when we're introducing ourselves. Um. I may be a little, I get anxious because um, I, I don't like to be humiliated. I don't want to um, let TJ down. Mm. Uh, yeah, I really, I really think a lot of improvisation. I don't want to let improvisation down. Um, and I mean, I don't fucking take on the mantle of... <laughs> Right. But I just, I don't, I want, I don't want to give it a bad name. Um, and so I try to, and I know the best way to prepare for that is to not have any plans. Um, and so then the lights go down and I really quite often, and you know, there might be some lingering thing from the way TJ and I may have looked at each other as the lights were going down. 
perhaps that's still there. I don't know. But oftentimes it's, you know, it's just like in the dark, I feel like I should be over here and I walk over there. Let's see what happens now. And so like, I think that's the proper attitude. Let's see what happens now. I'm not ill-prepared. I'm not afraid. Um, let's see what happens now. So you're just very, very open as you... Yeah, and also I think another aspect that I don't hear talked about much is I, there should be a, a kind of confidence that we're correct about what we've decided. Like, so part of that heat and weight is, yeah, there's a, that thing is moving at us, right? We could mm. sit there and look in, you know, pass the binoculars back and forth and determine whether it's a leopard or a black leopard, it's a panther. No, it's a leopard. Like we could do that. Or we could just be confident that that fucker is going to come eat us. That we were right when we decided that thing's coming to eat us. Um, or we could try to determine the, you know, uh, phylum, right? Uh, king, phylum, kingdom, order, genus, species. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we could figure all that out or we could just be confident that we're right and move on. Did he just hit on me? Right? Yes. The answer to that is yes. Right? Did I felt that for some reason. Now I behave that way. Did he just, did that guy just Give me the evil eye. Yes, he did. All right. Am I going to confront him on it or I'm going to be sheepish? What am I, am I going to be? Am I going to be a coward or am I going to be a tough guy? Um, and I'm, you know, and, but remember that I don't have to act on it right now, but remember that fucking happened. That happened. Um, and so sometimes you see people start a show and they're all cocky and then all of a sudden somebody's a little child and then they become they're, an, they're a cocky adult, and they see that person's a child, so they become a little child. No, we saw you over there as yeah. a cocky adult. You weren't wrong, but now you're a cocky adult with a little child. You're not all of a sudden a child. Come on, man. Um, and I think that's helpful for the performers, because, and it's also helpful for the audience. The audience is like, ah, fuck you. You don't believe any of this stuff. Why should I? Because we ask a lot of the audience in improvisation. We ask a lot of them, believe everything we're doing mm. to be true. But if I don't believe it, or if I can just change reality at the drop of a hat, I mean, I th think that's one of the things about object work, too. Pay attention to that shit. Like, that's a fucking cup, man. It's not a glass. It's a cup. <laughs> um, and you put it there last time. Pick it up there this time. Uh, because otherwise, there's no reason for them to invest if we if it doesn't mean if that doesn't mean anything I, the glass is wherever the fuck i want it to be oh, okay i totally agree there's nothing more annoying than when you you know really take the time to identify like right you know use the fridge for example and you you, you really focus on what you're doing and you, you're really specific and then someone comes in and just walks through it and you're like oh, yeah. you, you asshole fuck them <laughs> exactly uh, Dave, I'm curious. What would you say is one of the best improv shows you've ever seen? Like you've ever like been in the audience for? Well, there's there's a lot. Um, <laughs> there's there's a lot. There, you know, Joe Bill's show Bass Prov with uh, uh, Mark. The fuck is wrong with me? 
but their guest was uh, Fred Willard, and it was absolutely outstanding. I like their show, Mark Sutton, I'm sorry, sorry, Mark. Uh, Joe Bill and Mark Sutton do this show called Bass Prov, where these two guys who are sitting in a boat fishing, and they invite guests, and that was fantastic. Um, I've seen uh, uh, Beer Shark Mice, I think, are outstanding. Um, uh, there's, there's a lot of great improvisation that I've seen. And also, even if not whole shows, moments within shows, sand, um, uh, Brunlieb, these shows that are, we had a cast of fantastic improvisers when teaching at our theater. There were some improvisers in there that were just absolutely breathtaking. Our, our, the groups of improvisers we had doing our sketch shows, they were fantastic. I just, there's a lot of great improvisation. Yeah, I, I can't actually, think of a a, a, a a particular show of improvisation that that I saw that was above any other. There's a lot of great ones. There's a lot of shitty stuff going on. Too, <laughs> There's a lot. I mean, it's, I think it's always been that way. There's a lot, and just because it's written down and it's a play means it's good. There's a lot of shitty fucking plays with shitty actors doing. It, you know, um, so to, I, I think that was you know that comparison between improvisation and and scripted work is ridiculous um, because just because it's written doesn't mean it's good. And just because it's made up doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, totally agree. I actually saw Sand uh, when I was in Chicago back in 2016 and I just thought they were incredible. It's fucking uh, fantastic. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was very patient. It wasn't rushed, but they, they had, such command of the audience as well. I mean, when I saw them and they were in a back room of a bar, but you just get lost in what they were doing. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, who, who would you love to improvise with? Is there anyone that you've never improvised with that you'd like to, or is there someone that you've improvised with in the past that you'd love to improvise with again? Um, a couple dead people that I'd like to improvise with. So it's going to be tough. Uh, or I have to be patient. Uh, I have to both be patient and Catholic. Um, <laughs> it's a tricky one. They don't normally go hand in hand. Um, no, I really enjoy improvising with the people I improvise with. I got to tell you, I'm real lucky that way. Uh, Joel, Joel, uh, I love, I've gotten to improvise with him for a really long time and I just love improvising with him. Uh, the TJ, of course, Tracy Letts, Mike Shannon, uh, Tim Meadows, Mitch Rouse. Uh, those are the guys that I do most of the, my stuff with. Um, and I just enjoy it every single time. They're great. We had this group, Tim O'Malley, Pete Burns, um, Label. We had, it's just that the people that I came up with were, I loved working with. I would love to work with them again. And, people that I do stuff with now. Um, the thing is, like, not a lot of people are all that interested. Uh, Sue Gillen's fantastic. The people that I work with, the kind of improvisation that I do now, uh, not a lot of people are interested in it, which is great. But um, So it's more difficult to find folks that uh, are game. So would you say... Game and, and uh, like-minded. You know, we don't have to... Have, we don't... It's not like improvising with a twin, but we have to view. I think I think that's one of the things 
to find people who view improvisation in the same ways you do, um, ah, to right. see the same possibilities within improvisation. Like if, if I'm, if I'm interested in being really fucking funny and lightning fast, which is hilarious by the way, <laughs> and fantastic. Um, I've worked with some of those people and they're unbelievable. They do things I cannot do. But if I'm interested in doing that and they're working with me, we're both going to be dissatisfied. We can't give the other what they need. Um, so I have to be, you know, because um, I can't do that, I've found. And I found that through experience. Um, I cannot do that as well as they can do that. Um, and so I think to find find your tribe, find people who are like-minded. And with the Herald, it takes, you know, however many, five to nine or something like that. Mm. People who, you know, view the Herald as in the similar way that you view the Herald. Yeah, that's, that's it, so we, true. Yeah. Yeah. Two people find another person who views this show in a similar way. Like, oh no, let's, let's make it, you know, let's slow it way the fuck down. no, no, let's pick it. You know, like you're, you're neither. You're going to be happy, and you can't do it alone. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, because you even when you see Harold teams, you could have three performing in one night, and each one is going to have a different style or a different approach. Um, so it makes sense to be the same with players, you know. And also about improvisation, the um, or Harold and the idea of entertainment. I, it, um, a lot of people, you know, we were the opening is for us that the opening isn't entertaining yeah, is absolutely fine. And now I go and like the opening is some long extended bit. Like, <laughs> oh, you didn't get any information exchanged. That's what it's for. It's to exchange information. Yeah. Uh, explore ideas. And, and I think that's another thing, just a slight uh, point of view a slight perspective change. Like a herald is a structure. No, a herald is an exploration of a theme within a certain structure, but it's ultimately an exploration of a theme in ways that aren't immediately apparent to any one of us. It's only apparent to this group of us. I mean, that's the problem. I think a lot of people look at the Harold, especially when they're up and coming and they're learning, and they see it as more of a cage when it's really a platform in order to express the theme, the ideas, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And also, what is it? The uh, Picasso at the Le Pen Agile, the Steve Martin play? He talks about the frame being the thing that allows for creativity. Like the, the canvas is not infinite. The canvas is exactly as big as that frame. Um, and within that, I'm able to do anything. I don't have to worry about how big it is. I already have the frame. Uh, Dave, what advice would you give for up and coming improvisers now? I mean, is there any tips or advice you'd give for them? Yeah, uh, get on stage and try as many kinds of improvisation as you can find. Um, because not all of it's for everyone, I can attest. <laughs> um, but to find out what what, what part of improv improvisation is such a huge umbrella, so much is covered under it, that find out what 
suits you best or what you'd like to become better at. Because that's also the deal is what is to try to become better. What do I want to try to become better at? Um, and then, and but just do everything, do everything. Musical improv, and, you know, I, I don't do that anymore because I'm terrible at it. <laughs> really? And, but I don't, I didn't know I was terrible at it until I tried it a bunch. And then, no, I'm terrible at it. There are people who are really good at it. I am not one. No matter how many hours I uh, bother people, I'm not going to be good at it. Um, so I don't, I don't try to get better at that. Um, but I didn't know that until I tried it a lot. Yeah. yeah. So try everything, try everything a bunch, work with a bunch of different people. Um, and the next thing doesn't have to be the best thing or even better. It just has to be the next thing. Great. Well, Dave, and there's no better teacher than people who have paid strangers who have paid to see you. <laughs> That's, that is the best, you know, workshops are great. Classes are great. People who have paid to see you are the best teacher. Yeah. And the cruelest sometimes as well. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I totally agree. I mean, you learn so much from being on stage, you know, because I think classes are great, but actually doing it and getting a reaction and you discover so much about yourself doing that as well. Yep. I agree. Yeah. We used to do class once a week and then do three shows. Um, it's all oh, throughout the week and try to integrate what we learned in class for that week and integrate it into your, brain too and then try to implement it in the show and i think that's about a good ratio well dave thank you so much for coming on today it's been absolutely fascinating and a, an absolute joy thank you again and um is there anything you want to promote or anything you want to plug on the show yeah give that to i think a book if you find it helpful um, you mentioned it already, Improvisation at the Speed of Life, the TJ and book. Uh, and don't buy a fucking bootleg PDF, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, uh, there isn't a PDF of it. So if you bought a PDF of it, that isn't us. Uh, yeah, there's some shows. If you've not seen, there's a show, there's a uh, one called... Um, Trust Us, This Is All Made Up, which is a documentary, which includes an entire show, which was made by Alex Karpovsky, who I think um, made improvisation even watchable on camera um, because of the way he shot it. I think he really did a great job. Um, and then we did, uh, with uh, Mike Lieber, we shot uh, a series of shows and they're available on Vimeo and uh, used a similar idea to the one that Alex had established with it's just uh, a bunch of bunch of coverage and they shot it well fantastic well you've heard it all here guys check it out um, well Dave thank you again uh, look after yourself um, thank well, you too Sean I really appreciate it good talking to you you too Dave really real pleasure and look after yourself uh, stay safe out there and uh, hopefully I'll get to see you perform again and not too I'll do whatever the fuck I want to do don't tell me to stay safe <laughs> alright uh, talk to you soon Dave alright thanks Sean see ya oh 
wow, what a chat. I could have talked with him all day. Dave was an absolute joy to talk with. I'd recommend everybody read TJ and Dave's book, Improv at the Speed of Life, and check out the TJ and Dave shows online. I believe they're on Vimeo. Next week, I'm chatting with Holly Laurent, one of my favorite improv teachers and a member of the legendary improv team, The Reckoning. And of course, big shout out to Adam Deveni, sound tech extraordinaire, and to Crowander for the theme music space fun. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I'll see you next week. Have a good one. Bye.